This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. A series of climate justice protests across 5 days this week in Washington DC are challenging President Joe Biden to declare a climate emergency. From the 11th through the 15th of October, indigenous leaders, their allies and other climate justice activists are marching under the banner of people versus fossil fuels in the streets of the nation's capital. On Monday, Indigenous Peoples Day, more than 130 people were detained for failing to disperse outside the White House. In just a few weeks, world leaders will gather in Glasgow, Scotland for the United Nations COP26 meeting. I'm joined now by Danny Sigwald, Executive Director of PowerShift Network. Welcome to the program, Danny. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So tell me about these 5 days of events. How did this transpire? What are the demands of those that have gathered in DC this week? Yeah, there is a group of probably about 100 organizations across the country both national statewide who have come together under a banner of build back fossil free this coalition of organizations has been escalating a campaign to get Joe Biden to declare climate emergency and take uh about two dozen other executive actions to really address the real world current immediate needs of our US polit- political system to shift the climate emergency and turn it into a project that we're actually working on mitigating rather than flowing more fire into. So uh, tell me about what happened on Monday. This was the first day of the gathering, Indigenous yeah. Peoples Day, you know, uh, Columbus Day has been rebranded as Indigenous Peoples Day and cities around the country, even some states have formally adopted as uh, it as Indigenous Peoples Day. So um from the photos and videos we're seeing there was a big presence of indigenous leaders. Yeah, so the entire campaign Build Back Fossil Free has been following the lead of indigenous leaders, organizers um from across the country who have been really on the literally and figuratively on the front lines of the climate uh movement, but really what it means to be an environmentalist and care about our planet. Um we have been following their lead and this convening was anchored by dozens upon dozens of indigenous leaders who have been part of this movement for decades. So And forever. Um, so what does it mean to demand that the Biden administration demand a climate emergency? Yeah, so by uh, declaring a climate emergency, President Biden would have access to a plethora of executive options to um demand that we stop the fossil fuel industry in its footsteps the fact of the matter is corporations have been taking charge of our lives for so long the climate emergency is really a culmination of that um and we're hoping that by declaring a climate emergency we'll uh, will also understand that to mean through Joe Biden's actions that he's taking seriously the the overall demands of his constituents Is this in your mind a test of the Biden administration because climate justice yeah. was a big part of Biden's platform when he campaigned yeah. for president and of course even making it part of his platform was the result of hard work by organizations activists like yourself right Absolutely the fact of the matter is uh the 2000 
20 campaign that we just saw was one of the largest youth mobilizations to vote that we've ever seen in U.S. history. Gen Zers and millennials are making up more than 40 percent of the electorate right now and one of our core demands as the younger generations right now is to to really invest in our futures and a lot a lot of promises from the biden campaign have really not shown themselves to be priorities at this point and we need at this point for president biden to show that he's taking our needs seriously because we're not asking for special interests to be met here we're really talking about the future of our country and the planet so uh, tell me a little bit about how big the gathering is and is the Biden administration responding? Have they have they acknowledged that there are people gathered outside the White House? Yeah, I'm not too sure about what the response has been so far. But as you said, on Indigenous Peoples Day, we had more than 130 people get arrested. And I know that there have been pledges of up to 1500 folks who have committed to taking action, direct action and undergoing civil disobedience to get the message across. Um, so here we are at a moment in history where climate change is manifesting in such a real way. As I mentioned, the COP26 meeting is coming up. But, you know, and so there's opportunities for change. There is yeah. huge need for change. There is a much more um, favorable person in the White House that would be amenable to taking action on climate change now than there was a year ago. Yeah. So why are there people in the streets? What is holding Mr. Biden back? To be completely frank, it's a question of uh, lobbying and special interests. The fossil fuel industry and their allies have poured so much money and so much research and um, and time in in offices and legislative offices that they've got a stronghold on our economic system and a lot on our on our politicians um as a whole people are more worried about the possibility of big oil uh preventing their next successful election to climate catastrophe and collapse as we're seeing today so the uh gathering this week has been labeled people versus fossil fuels Absolutely. So ex expand on that a little bit for me so the fact of the matter is we know that it's in our best interest as a species to stop the extraction of oil and fossil fuels from the planet there's no question about that the science is all there there's lots of indications that the, cli the climate crisis is moving much more quickly than we'd anticipated even three years ago um there are people who are willing to show up and put their lives at their their livelihoods at risk in order to be able to make a point because people really deeply understand that this is a question of humanity against special interests and folks who are just out here to make a profit and turn a buck uh rather than people's people like the well-being of our species that being said i was also there at occupy 10 years ago to the week and the name people versus fossil fuels really becomes evocative of the the 99% versus the 1% um with the 1% being these like massive corporations who have taken over taking over our political systems and are really causing harm to our lives because of an economic model that's just not working anymore and it's not just activists right that are speaking up and making these demands um not only is it people the world over ordinary people who are really yeah. feeling uh, who are feeling the effects of climate change i understand that um prior to this week's series of events there were hundreds of scientists who joined in a call and of course climate scientists have been at the forefront of sounding the alarm yeah. on the issue of the climate uh, emergency 
Yeah, absolutely. There are people from all walks of life who are showing up because they really are seeing firsthand in their in their lives and their livelihoods the impacts of the climate crisis. It's like every other week it feels this summer and fall. It's there's been news of a new climate disaster that's happening that's really impacting real people's lives. Right? We're not talking about like just slight shifts in weather patterns for the sake of the science. We're talking about people's livelihoods. We're looking at climate refugees across the planet. It's hitting people's lives more and more day by day than we really expect it to happen. I'm talking to you on Tuesday. Tell our audience what's expected to take place at the later part of the week. Um, and, and does this gathering build up toward the COP26 meeting? Yeah, I think that a big hope is to get folks' eyes and attentions on what what's happening on a global level um, through COP26, the coalition of partner of partners in um in glasgow but uh parties uh, that being said uh, tomorrow there's going to be a faith leaders day on wednesday that's a faith leaders day um and a group called arm in arm is also mobilizing on friday which is the day that i've been most focused on we're having young folks under the mantle of we didn't vote for this show up to risk arrest at the white house and get some attention and really call for biden to take action where can people get involved in what is happening? You know, not everybody can go to yeah. Washington, D.C. Are there partner actions taking place in cities around the country? Yeah, totally. So they're on our website, buildbackfossilfree.org. You'll be able to see details on the week of action and if there are sister events, but also you'll have the opportunity to sign a petition. We launched this petition earlier in the year and as of April, there were more than 300,000 signatories. We really encourage folks to look at the website, figure out if there's stuff happening locally for you and sign the petition, buildbackfossilfree.org. Tell me about your own organization, PowerShift Network, yeah. because of course it's a huge number of groups that come together to make these sorts mm -hmm. of things possible. Yeah, so I'm executive director of PowerShift Network, which is a network of over 100 different member organizations that work together to make sure that young folks have access and resources to learn the skills that they need in order to be able to be really strong change agents and climate champions. And uh, this is also, of course, a moment in our nation when vulnerable people, when marginalized communities, communities of color, low income Americans are seeing firsthand and are often on the front lines of experiencing the worst effects of climate change. Would you say that um, we need to constantly remind our leaders that uh, climate change is an issue of, of racial justice, of economic mm -hmm. justice? Yeah, absolutely. I think that as we're looking at the ramifications of uh, the COVID pandemic on people's like economic livelihoods right now, I know in DC there are tents um, of houseless neighbors everywhere. Um, with with the increase in wealth disparity and increases in poverty that we're looking at coming down the road. It's becoming clear that that the climate crisis is really going to hit us a lot harder than a lot of people anticipate. We're lacking um, we're lacking really basic safety net systems, and our healthcare system is clearly falling apart. All of these things are going to really impact the ways that we're able to build resilience in the face of a ch changing climate, and make sure that we're taking care of one another and really thinking about the folks who have the most to lose and the plans that we're making.
And at the same time, as people are gathering this week and as folks are preparing for the COP26 meeting, there's, of course, a major legislative battle playing out in Washington, D.C., where mm -hmm. you and others are right now, where you have not just Republicans. In fact, it seems as though the Republicans are quietly sitting out this battle, watching Democrats fight with one another. And I should say, basically, it seems as though the majority of the Democratic Party is up against a handful of conservative Democrats, corporate Democrats, some people call them, who yeah. want to strip out the t very modest um, appropriations for climate um, a mitigation that's in the the bills that are uh, for in in front of Congress, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that there are a couple of layers to that, right? I think that there's a very real uh, risk that these elected officials have when they are acknowledging that the climate crisis is real and something to be paid attention to when they've been able to uh, maintain a, a vision of the status quo for folks. For whom the system is working but also again it's it's these these uh oil executives with their hands in the politicians pockets there's really only focus on special interests at this point in our government system with very 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 little attention paid to meeting the needs of the average american well, um, let's also uh, briefly before we end our conversation, take a look at what's happening internationally. Um, yeah. What are some of the ways in which American activists like yourself and others are, you know, there's going to be, I understand, 25,000 people going to the COP26 meeting in Glasgow, which actually um, relative to previous years is a small number. Um, mm -hmm. The world leaders are going to be gathering initially and then leaving uh, for their own representatives to hash out details of how to implement the Paris Accord. Um, will there be civil society organizations, or activist organizations on the outside and the inside, as we've seen in some past COP meetings? Yeah, that's absolutely the expectation at this point. And I think that with that, with that point about being U.S. Americans, we really need to be focused or like intentional about the fact that there are going to be a lot of folks who aren't able to come to the table because of inequitable vaccine distribution internationally. Um, it's it's a wild time that we are living in where people are navigating, you know, the safety of themselves and their their families with the vaccine. And it's it's been really difficult to figure out how to navigate. But I do know that there are a couple of our member organizations, members of PowerShift Network, who are working really closely in relationship with uh, young people from the global south to make sure that there's there's priority given to those voices because we do understand that as a global community lifting up the voices of the folks uh, in the global south who are experiencing the worst effects of the climate crisis is really essential and to our own collective best interest. I'm so glad you brought up the issue of vaccine discrepancy because, um, you know, here we are in the United States now encouraging booster shots when there yeah. are millions and probably more than a billion people in the world who haven't even had the chance to have one shot yet. And then, of course, we have a whole bunch of folks here in the United States who, when given the chance to get their shots, aren't even choosing right. to get them. So we really experience this first world privilege here uh, in the country and putting it in an international perspective uh, says a lot. And, and to you, does the fact that there's this big discrepancy, this, this big um, vaccine apartheid, as, mm -hmm. as some people are calling it, is that reflective of how we see dollars distributed for climate mitigation as well there's the haves and the have-nots on the on the it, climate front it absolutely is um 
the like overwhelming majority of climate dollars that are donated come to US-based organizations, um, which really speaks to speaks to the the amount of money and its origins and the way that these these uh, pathways are being built that people are are really thinking hard about how they can preserve the status quo and prevent folks who need it most from having a voice. Danny, give out the website again that you gave out earlier and also for your own organization, um, PowerShift Network. Yeah, so um, buildbackfossilfree.org is the website for Build Back Fossil Free campaign. And uh, PowerShift Network is powershift.org. And we'll post links to both of those from our website. Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck uh, to you for the rest of the week. Thank you so much. Be well. My guest has been Danny Sigwald, Executive Director of PowerShift Network. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.